Hey everyone, it's Jen, and I wanted to take a moment in this season of Thanksgiving to say how much we appreciate all of you. If you are a big Spotify user, you probably just got your Spotify wrapped for the year. It's pretty cool because podcasts also get one of those. So we got to see some cool data points for our podcast. We're only 24, 25 episodes in, and we are balling on a budget right now. Katie and I most often use Zoom. And a few times we recorded in her car and in the summer, that was a little rough, but good audio quality. But we're so thankful for a little podcast for our organization that you are listening and sharing. Uh, we were streamed in 27 countries and we have over 14,000 plays for the podcast so far. So we're so thankful for all of you for listening. One of our data points was how many people are sharing our podcast. We can't say enough how thankful we are, how much we appreciate you. We love your feedback, your questions, uh, your responses on the polls, your ratings. Thank you for sharing and thank you so much for being a part of what we're doing. Hey everyone, welcome to the Them Before Us podcast. This is Jen, one of your hosts, and we are joined today by the other Katie, Katie Breckenridge, who is one of our researchers, writers, helps out with a lot of the administration operations side with me as well. So Katie, thanks for coming back. Hey, nice to be back. Is it hard to be named after Katie, the founder and president? It does get confusing. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about that with another work colleague, how many different Katie's there are contracting with us and yeah, we're like, thankfully, all we all have different last initials, so it makes yeah. it slightly easier, but. <laughs> but so for people um, who maybe haven't heard all of our previous podcasts, Katie also joined us for our episode on the phenomenon of gray divorce, which is a really good episode. So you can go back to that one and listen as well. But yeah, Katie enjoys doing more of the research and writing for us. And so we wanted to have her back because she did a big article on our response she's working on to an article that came out that I'll go through with all of you today. And please forgive, because there is going to be a little bit of snark <laughs> in my voice <laughs> as I'm going through this article today, but, um, but you will see why. And I think we're just overall, we're hoping that then before us advocates start learning to look deeper at articles and things that we see, especially when it talks about science and studies and we'll get into that. But so I read this off of msn.com, but there were a number of different sources that started it, but we'll link in the show notes. So, Hey everyone, breaking news. Science proves that kids with gay dads actually are better adjusted. There's actually, oh, how probably, about that? yeah, there's, there's no better parenting you could possibly get than having <laughs> two dads, gay dads. So here's what the article says. It seems like it's a win for the gays in the gay parenting discourse department. New research reveals if you have gay dads in your life, you might be better off than those with straight parents. Wow. In a family process study conducted by Belgian, Italian, and American researchers, <clears throat> excuse me, 134 European families, that's 67 gay couples and 67 heterosexual couples, with children between the ages of 1.5 to 10 years old, 
born through surrogacy were examined. And your article said the gay families had kids born through surrogacy and the heterosexual had kids born naturally. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So this article leaves that out. The study Mm -hmm. dived into each family's parenting style, how the families divvied up tasks, the parents' satisfaction with their relationship, and if there were any behavioral issues with the children. Additionally, families with gay dads were given additional examination into the impact that homophobia and support from the community had on them. And finally, each family completed a comprehensive questionnaire about each parent and their children. So what's the verdict? The research showed that the children of gay dads were not only happier and better behaved, but that gay dads reported greater positive co-parenting, more equal sharing of childcare tasks, and greater satisfaction with task sharing compared to heterosexual parents. Basically, the kids of gay dads are all right, and gay dads are fabulous at parenting at the same time. This research comes at a time where anti-LGBTQ plus legislation and sentiment continues to ramp up within the United States. With the Don't Say Gay bill signed in 2022 and an expansion on the bill in April 2023, discourse and instruction around sexual orientation and gender identity were effectively banned in Florida schools. The bill sparked fervor and inspired similar legislation around the nation to date 506 anti-LGBTQ plus bills exist within the U.S. And wrapping it up, final paragraph here. While the Don't Say Gay bill impacts the livelihood of LGBTQ plus children, it also hurts queer and trans parents as they struggle to live openly and protect their families. However, studies like the one in Family Process highlights that gay parents and their children are doing just fine, if not better, because of their family unit. This is amazing research and I'm There's, sure there is no bias in this whatsoever. Right. <laughs> I am sure. Well, it was, I highlighted anti-LGBTQ laws. Okay. When you frame mm-hmm. something like that, obvious bias using mm-hmm. the term don't say gay bill, obvious bias, yep. but this is MSN, or I think it originally was published in like a specifically queer uh publication you know a website into more.com i don't know so you know let we have to consider the source for sure but katie maybe just in sort of this broad way help us understand when we think about research what should we start to kind of look for broadly speaking when we look at a study this study there have been a lot of studies done regarding uh, well, claiming to show no difference in the outcomes of children raised by same-sex parents compared to those raised by heterosexual parents. And all of these studies, yeah, all these studies use flawed methodology like non-random samples. So participants were recruited through networks of friends or advocacy organizations. So that's the first thing. They, the studies need to be done with random samples. Mm-hmm. Um, the participants we're also aware that the purpose was to investigate same-sex parenting in all of these studies. So of course there's gonna be bias uh, aimed at producing the desired result. Mm -hmm. And samples should also have more than 40 participants. This one did, but a lot of the other studies uh, have fewer than 40 children involved. Well, I shouldn't even say the children are involved because it's the parents. Right. completing these <laughs> and pause there for a second because but, um, when I took 
research methods and statistics in school. So I did a psychology for undergrad. I understood that like a thousand people was a decent sample size when it came to like phone survey, you know, like when people do yeah. political surveys and things. Randomized. So, yes. <laughs> randomized. But a thousand people. I mean, I'm sure there's um, some differences like 40 people yeah. can still give you good information, but yeah. we're not talking about like, like a swath of the country. I mean, you could know 67 people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, it's like two classes in your high school or something. Mm-hmm. So, and if they're all influenced by their own biases, then of course they're going to, yeah. It's... Well, and Katie used this example on another podcast I just listened to. She said, this would be like uh, a researcher saying, I want to know if Baptists are good parents and good families. And they go into a Baptist church, they stand up front and say, raise your hand if you would like to be part of a study to see if Baptists are good parents to their kids. They raise their hands, they choose 67 of those people, they hand them a piece of paper and said, fill this out and tell us if you think you're a good parent and if your kids are doing well. Yeah, so in this study, as you read, they found that children of gay fathers had, the children were happier and more well-behaved and showed fewer externalizing problems, such as aggression and rule-breaking and fewer internalizing problems like anxiety and depression than those with heterosexual parents. But these were self-reported. So these gay fathers were reporting this themselves. And they were also reporting that they had more effective parenting styles and greater co-parenting abilities and higher relationship satisfaction than heterosexual parents. And they also said that when the children did have internalized issues, it was due to encountering homophobic microaggressions, which I found interesting because, yeah, the study also concluded that when children did have internalized issues, it was due to encountering homophobic microaggressions, which it definitely leaves room for influence of one's own perception of the world. But I also found it interesting because the study didn't talk about the impact of microaggressions directly on children. It was more about how the fathers experience microaggression and then it impacts their parenting abilities, mm-hmm. which just sounds like an excuse to, you know, justify, you know, like I would be a great parent if I didn't experience all this, all this negative, all this negativity towards my parenting. But it's like, if you're, if you're secure in your, if you believe that you're providing your child with everything that they need, why are you letting that make you insecure? Like there's gotta be something, I don't know. It's, I don't know, just an excuse. Well, and it feels like a very convenient way to explain any negative results can be explained away by a lack of public acceptance. And that's what they end the article with, right? Oh, and here's all these anti-gay bills that are popping up. So they're trying to kind of shore up any negative data by saying anything negative we see would just be because of these other external factors. And then do they even define microaggression? Do they even tell us what that means? And, you know, here's these specific things that happened to my kid. Yeah, it's like, and and it's not, yeah, it's not to the kid. It's just the parents getting told, getting uh, negative comments about their family structure and just things like that. Yeah, yeah. not, nothing actually said to the children. So. Well, yeah. here are some interesting things when I read this study itself, dug into it, that 
stood out to me. So first they compare, we mentioned this at the beginning, they compare two men that use a surrogate and an egg donor. So that child has no mom in their life at all. They compare that mm-hmm. to a man and a woman who naturally conceived their child. And then I thought this was really fascinating. The couples they selected, the gay couples they selected, had to have a bio father in the couple. Yes. That was interesting to so me. So children are already statistically going to do a little better. Yeah. With the right. biological Because dad. we would yeah. say to be raised, there are some studies that show if you're going to have a single parent, a single father will have better outcomes than a single mom. And, you know, I can't even, I don't even know all the reasons for that, but, you know, we just picture all the positive impacts a dad has on their son and on their daughter. And those would still be there, even if the mom is not in the picture. So now we would have to say there's got to be some positives if their bio dad is in the picture, even though it's gay men, even though it was a surrogate. So, but they can't really unpack that for us because they don't, they can't acknowledge that biology matters in some way, you know, to justify all this. Yeah, I was going to say, and two with comparing like there's no way that they can get a successful study anyway like even just with comparing surrogacy to natural conception it's like children are disadvantaged by all methods of same-sex parents acquiring children anyway so it's like none of them are going to be proportional well yeah and and even um, heterosexual parents that are using these technologies um yeah would say surrogacy immediately oh, yeah. loses something essential at birth yes and yep the primal wound yeah the uh, kids conceived through ivf have higher rates of intellectual and physical disabilities it's a uh, yeah it's and it's not about this study also said that prohibitions against surrogacy for gay males seem entirely based on prejudice with no basis in social science research like first we have that it's not we have the fact that surrogacy and IVF are not good regardless of what, you know, sexual orientation is doing these procedures. And, um, right. We've talked about that a lot, you know, we'll say, so if you see two men or two women with a child, there's only a, a few ways they got the child. One of those parents is the bio parent. And maybe they were with this, other partner or the spouse, they naturally conceive the child. But let's say it's a woman is with a guy, has a child, leaves and repartners with a woman. Okay. Well, the child has experienced divorce and loss of that daily relationship with their dad, or those two women got the child from a sperm donor and one of them carried it or they adopted. So that means the child has lost something, lost their birth parents, natural parents. Okay. So these number of ways that same-sex couple can get a child, every single time the child has lost something, there is no way two people of the same sex can have a child without the child losing something essential. But suddenly we know all that's true from the social science data, but magically it all disappears Mm -hmm. when we start looking at a study where the self-reporting of the couple or an individual in the couple starts writing down is are things good or bad they're always good somehow Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. so suddenly being raised by same-sex couples you know despite the fact that every other demographic 
is disadvantaged and for you know being a product of divorce or being adopted or being donor conceived is suddenly they're all suddenly just fine yeah <laughs> you're listening to the them before us podcast we just launched a new homepage at thembeforeus.com, so head on over if you want to stay connected to us by signing up for our newsletter, if you'd like to donate, read our studies, the latest things we've been up to, or the stories of kids. Thanks so much for listening. Well, and even though now now that they're missing, you know, they, the specific gender benefits right. of having a mother and father, but yeah, no, they're doing much better. Right. And we talk about this. So two men, we're not saying two men can't be great dads. What we're saying is one of those men doesn't serve the same purpose that the child's mother does. It doesn't matter like these sort of societal ideas of masculine and feminine. A man cannot be feminine enough in whatever sense of the word you want that to mean to replace a child's mother and two women cannot replace a child's father. One of those women can't be like masculine enough. And just because she has stereotypically masculine interests, it doesn't now, oh, the kid's dad doesn't matter because this woman, a couple prefers to wear pants. It's like, that's, that's what's so bizarre. And I guess kind of stereotypical about our culture and their view of same-sex couples, single couples, whatever, that it just, it doesn't really matter. And any adults can fit, can get pasted into it and the kid will be totally fine. So then what have you, uh, what do you know off the top of your head when it comes to like, we've seen this with studies with adoption too, you know, adopted parents, um, I think, and with more accurate studies are more invested in their kids. Like they'll spend more money on them, go to their games more often than uh, typical, like, mom dad that naturally conceived but you know there's some other reasons for why some of those things show up yeah because they know that i mean i don't want to say in every case but in a lot of the cases adoptive parents know that they can't fully make up for um the child lacking their biological parents so they try to you know make up for that in other ways yeah i think there's Uh, there's a lot of intentionality. So even with two men or two women that had to go through a lot of hoops to procure a child, there is a sense of intentionality. We really want to parent. So we are really investing a lot of time and money, et cetera, into our children versus a typical couple, male and man and woman who become pregnant. And they might be in all sorts of circumstances, financially, whatever. Oh, it was an accident. We weren't expecting it. We weren't prepared and all variety of different things they're struggling with. And there isn't as much intentionality. Yeah. And all this isn't to say that there's no love there, of course, like with making, trying to make up for what they've lost. I think it's just a, it's an, an inherent understanding. Like, oh, we know that you, well, if they acknowledge it, a lot of people So that's something that frustrates me is when people adopt just because they want children and they don't understand any of the, or don't want to understand any of the trauma that's, that comes along with these children losing their families. And they just think, no, you're our child and that's it. Um, But yeah, but of, of course they, so many adoptive parents want the best for their children. And I, I, yeah, I think that comes out from an inherent, understanding even if they don't acknowledge it of wanting to make up for 
the lack of connection with biological families. And... Right. Well, and we've talked about that too, that children that have been adopted, even when they have no biological parent in the home, fare better than these children, like in the study where they even have one biological uh, parent in the home, because there is a different sense of you did this to me. Like, yes, the child true. will grow up and look at dad, my dad and your partner, whether you call them both dad, whatever, and say, you're the reason my mom is not in the picture. I'll never know. The reason. Yeah. And adopted families yeah. can sympathize in a different way because they don't feel the yeah. same guilt. Maybe they're not like trying to gaslight the kid that everything's fine. They understand they yeah. lost something, but it seems like with these other yeah. couples, and we see this with single mom, like intentional single moms too. They're sort of like, you know how much I paid for you. Be glad you're alive. Deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't need a dad. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah, exactly. Am no. I not and then they can't, they can't express, they feel like they can't express the sadness for not having a dad because, you know, yeah, they're made to feel guilty and that, you know, they should just be grateful that they exist. And yeah. So tell us what the actual study is. When we look at good studies, the actual data, what do we know about same-sex parenting, et cetera? Um, so for example, sociologist uh, Mark Regneris found that young adult children. So these are ones who can actually speak out on their own. Their parents aren't doing this for them. These children who had same-sex, well, of parents who had same-sex relationships um, before they reached the age of 18, before the children reached the age of 18, were more likely to suffer from a broad range of emotional and social problems. And this study, of course, did it correctly. Correctly, it followed the scientific method. And because uh, this study sample was large, representative, and population-based, so not a small self-selected group that, you know, came from LGBT organizations and other, okay, it didn't come from other groups that, you know, fit the interests of the researchers. Um, he also studied the responses of adult children rather than asking the same-sex parents to describe how their young dependent children are doing, and he was able to draw comparisons on up to 80 measures of children who had lived with or had parents who fell into one of eight categories, so a much broader range, um, intact families with both biological parents who were married to each other, lesbian mothers, gay fathers, heterosexual single parents, parents who later divorced, cohabiting parents, and parents who adopted the respondent child. And it was found that the children of lesbians and gays fared worse than those in intact heterosexual sexual families on 77 out of the 80 outcome measures wow. so that is a lot right then sociologist uh dr paul solins also collected data from the national longitudinal study on adolescent health one of the most exhaustive expensive and ongoing government research efforts um that's been undertaken so far and he identified and assessed 20 randomly selected children with same-sex parents from a pool of over 12,000 participants wow. to yeah. get an unbiased study of outcomes for kids with same-sex parents. Well, and that's so. truly a random, I yes. mean, he's <laughs> saying, I will be able to find the data that is relevant if I just take 20 of these kids from 12,000. And he's yeah. trusting that, you know, he's not like handpicking, well, these yeah. kids have the worst life. And he also found 
Children in same-sex households were likely to suffer emotional or behavioral difficulties at a rate of 9.3%, which is more than twice the 4.4% rate for children in heterosexual families. They also experienced definite or severe emotional problems at a rate of 14.9% versus 5.5%. Almost diagnosed. Yeah. Yeah. Were diagnosed with ADHD at a higher rate, uh, struggled with learning disabilities at a higher rate, uh, received mental health services at a higher rate. So it's, yeah, they had higher rates of depression, higher interpersonal, negative interpersonal symptoms, and the number of children reporting or who reported daily fearfulness or crying is higher for children with unmarried opposite same-sex parents. Wow. And they, I mean, they okay, okay, I need to, let me uh, clarify this because I, uh, yeah. So the people, the children who reported daily fearfulness or crying is higher for children with unmarried opposite and same-sex parents, but over 10 times higher for children with married same-sex parents. Wow. And we've talked about that too, that married same-sex parents, their children do worse than not married same-sex parents, which we are yeah. proponents of marriage, but we have marriage when properly understood. What marriage is, is the man and the woman who produce the children are together and raise their children. That's what's best for kids. Well, and yeah, in each of these stats, it's almost double or three times as bad for the children raised by same-sex parents on all of these different measures, which is pretty crazy. And we have all of these stats in the chapter on same-sex parenting in our book. And if you go to thembeforeus.com, we have a fast facts sheet on same-sex parenting. You can see these broken down as well and see where we cited them. Yeah. So proper methodology makes all the difference in factual outcomes. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting because if they allowed the data and the research and they allowed it to be funded and allowed it to be published. And I guess by they, I mean, popular culture, who are the people who are sort of in power of cultural story and narrative around marriage and family right now? It's not the ideological right. It's the ideological left. Mm -hmm. But if they allowed all these things, they'd have to then start acknowledging, Ooh, maybe we didn't make the best choice when we, started redefining everything and well and that's why it's so important we at them before us are well we're just going we're intentional about wanting to help equip people this is how we look and consider these things you know we can't just go off a headline and the msn article yeah that article was like three paragraphs total it only gives you a partial story and you actually have to go and read the study especially looking at what you called methodology is how was this study conducted how many people was it a questionnaire things like that can give us a lot of information yeah they also ask so many vague questions as well like for internalizing issues like does your child look unhappy for no good reason it's like how how is that going to gauge and you can you know and that's based on your perception too like that's not oh they're no they're not happy they're not unhappy for no good reason they're unhappy because of this thing that happened or because I experienced this microaggression, you know, it's like, it's not. Right. Well, like <laughs> objective versus subjective measures. So if we could look at what is, what's a kid's grades in school is kind of a sense of an objective measure. 
Or yes. yeah, do they look sad sometimes? Okay, it feels like kind of a subject. It's like asking a mom, is your kid cold, right? Yeah. Moms always think their kids are cold. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, anything else um, you wanted to touch on as we that are important to know as we consider studies like this? Um, no, just keep your whenever you see these headlines, keep your eyes open to any flawed methods that may be used and don't just believe everything based on what you're you know what they're saying right. <laughs> instantly yeah totally cool well thanks so much for joining us and for all your work yeah. we're publishing this one right yes awesome yeah. so probably well this podcast is coming out today but we'll have this article posted as well and people can go check it out yeah thenbeforeus.com we have a new homepage that's awesome and so many great resources there. The podcast and social media things, lots of ways you can share with a friend or stay in touch with us. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And whether you are religious or irreligious, whether you are single, married, gay, or straight, if you are defending the rights of children, you are one of us. Thanks for joining this global movement to put them, the children, before us, the adults. Thank you.